And so church, in that passage you just heard read, Jesus is really direct and blunt in what he says. And overall, he's just bold and clear that above all, what what people back then and what we today should do is actually follow him, right? Follow him. And in fact, as you heard that passage, perhaps you were a bit surprised at just how blunt and direct Jesus was about that. I I know I am whenever I encounter this passage or passages like this. And to be honest, passages like this are why we as a church here at ECC go by verse by verse and do expository preaching through books of the Bible so that we kind of have to encounter passages like this. Because it is surprising. And really, it's probably good for us to be a bit surprised, to be kind of stunned by Jesus in a passage like this. Because consider this, for most of us today, and I know for me, as I think about and teach the Bible and talk to people about Jesus, I think for most of us, what we most frequently like to talk about, especially when talking about things like the gospel and salvation, is we like to talk about things like the the benefits of following Jesus, right? Such as the benefit of eternal life. Or we like to talk about things like the reasons why it's good to follow Jesus. Or in a similar way, I like to talk about why we can compel and try to persuade others that the Bible is true and that we should follow Jesus. And to be clear, all of that is really good and it's even biblical that we should think and talk like that. Meaning, brothers and sisters, let's realize we should know that the gospel makes sense, that it happened in history. We, we should realize that following Jesus is what's best for us. And, and we should, therefore, try to convince and compel others as well. And, and we see that in other examples in Jesus' ministry. We see that, if you know the book of Acts, when Paul goes into the synagogues, tries to persuade and convince the people that Jesus is the Christ. And so again, when talking about Jesus in the gospel, it's good to take time, really consider everything. It's, it's good to be persuaded and understand the benefits of believing the gospel in Jesus. And yet, all of that said, what's also true though, church, and what we each need to consider as shown by Jesus here, is that sometimes though, we also kind of just need to be looked straight in the eyes and told hey, above all, you just need to decide to follow Jesus in your life. And and you need to keep following him. Meaning sometimes we just need the Bible and Jesus in the Bible to look right at us in a sense and say, follow me. Stop overthinking it. Stop making excuses. Stop avoiding certain things in God's word. Follow me. And in short, that's basically overall what we're going to see here in this passage together this morning. In God's word this morning, we're going to see more of the direct and blunt message of Jesus to follow him. And now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that Jesus is telling them or that he's telling us to not really think about what it means to follow him. Of course, we should. Nor is he telling them or telling us to not, or to all of a sudden just make an irrational leap of faith into the dark. That's not the case, because as we're going to see in this passage, Jesus kind of does tell us what it means, and he says exactly what he thinks each of these people need to hear. And so we, we shouldn't just not understand what it means or leap into the dark if we do. That's not what this means. But church, what this passage does mean is that once again, the emphasis sometimes does need to fall on us that we do need to just follow Jesus. We need to do it. We need to, we need to remake sure that it's him that we're living for, that it's him who we are following in our lives, who we're listening to and seeking to obey and we're not looking back. 
which, by the way, as we'll talk about later, will, of course, apply to some of you in here. If you are here and you realize that maybe you are not a Christian yet, Jesus will call you this morning through his word to just decide to follow him. But, but also, though, as we'll talk about, this also does apply to us who are Christians here as well, because basically over and over this morning, we'll be, we will be reminded of Jesus' overarching call on our lives, and that's to follow him. And so, so all that said, that's a quick overview of the main topic we're going to see here this morning, really following Jesus. But that now does bring us to this passage itself in verses 18 through 22 here in our outline for how we're going to go through God's word together. And so in basic, what we're going to do this morning to, to understand and really apply this passage is we're going to have three sections together, three sections, asking three questions where we're going to further probe into to what's really going on here. Three questions. And as for what those questions are, pretty simply, first, we are going to begin with the most basic question of what does Jesus really say in this passage? What does he say? Meaning here we're going to look at more of the surface of this account where we're going to see that people say something to our Savior King and then Jesus pretty shockingly responds a couple times. And so first we're going to look at just what he says, which then in our second section will lead us a step further where we'll ask, and why though would Jesus say what he says? And that'll obviously be probing a bit deeper, looking into why Jesus would say what he says here. And so what Jesus says, why he says what he says, which then third and finally will lead us to end by asking, and what does this all show us about Jesus and about your and my following of Jesus? And that last section will be more so where we apply it to ourselves. And so, so that's where we're going, church. Three sections. First, what Jesus says. Second, why he says it. And then third and finally, what this shows us about Jesus and you are in my following of Jesus, which is really the whole point. And so church, all that said, let's then begin that first section where again, we're going to go through this whole passage and first just ask, what does Jesus actually say here? What does he say? And as we're going to see, this passage pretty clearly has three scenes to it, three scenes. And so we're going to quickly now look at each scene one at a time and just surface level ask what he says. And we'll begin in just verse 18, verse 18. Because although Jesus' words aren't quoted here, as you're going to see, there actually is something that we're told Jesus said in this opening scene. So verse 18 to start. The Bible says this. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. So stop there for a second because briefly you can see it. The first thing Jesus is told to say in this passage is that so, so after healing a lot of people, as we saw last week, a great crowd started to form around him, which, which makes sense. I mean, he was healing people. He was casting out demons and such. And so a crowd forms and hearing that, we could think, well, well that's probably what Jesus wanted, right? A big crowd, a lot of people. But amazingly, the first thing that Jesus does and says in this paragraph here, which I think is intentionally written by Matthew, is because of the crowd, Jesus actually gives orders to go to the other side. Meaning, away from the crowd to the other side of the lake. And now, we'll talk more about why he might say that in our next section, remember. But for now, let's just make sure we all get this. This paragraph intentionally starts with Jesus seeing a crowd forming because of his miracles, and so he intentionally goes away from the crowd. Okay, so that's verse 18. But that then leads to the next scene that happens in verses 19 and 20, and this is the first quick conversation recorded. So continuing on, look there now, verses 19 and 20. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, 
I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So to begin on that, concerning this person coming and talking to Jesus, it's important to notice that first, well, he's a scribe, right? A scribe which just meant a teacher of the law back then. And scribes were pretty respected religious authorities because they took the Bible, they tried to explain it to people. And so this is a, there's a scribe coming up to Jesus. And then we're told that he calls Jesus teacher, right? Teacher, which in itself is a good title in a sense because Jesus was and he is a great teacher, but, but just so you know, very interestingly, in this book of Matthew, multiple people come up and address Jesus as teacher, and yet it not once comes from somebody who actually trusts in Jesus and believes him to be the Savior King. Meaning you and I are supposed to see in this term teacher some level of respect, but not genuine faith and not worship. And quickly, I do think that even applies to you and me then, right? Because for us then in our following of Jesus, we do need to see that just seeing Jesus as a teacher is not the main point. Meaning if we really follow Jesus, we don't follow just a great influential teacher. Instead, really following Jesus is following the Savior King of the universe. But anyway, so this is the scribe coming up. He calls him teacher. And then finally, perhaps biggest of all with this scribe is we see his seeming eagerness, right? And how he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And to you and me, that, sound, that sounds great. I mean, that, that seems to be the definition of someone saying, I will follow you, Jesus. And yet, apparently it's not. And, and Jesus knows it because, because then what does Jesus decide to respond with? Will that, quote, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And now remember, as for why Jesus would say that, again, we'll talk about that more in our second section. But for now, just in terms of what Jesus says, you can see there's really, there's really two parts to that statement. There are two parts. And the first is obviously Jesus' main point to this scribe that sure, you, you say you want to follow me wherever, but do you realize I don't even have a permanent home? All the animals do, but I even don't. And just so you know, that, that doesn't mean that Jesus necessarily slept on the streets every night. We know that because, for example, even in verse 14 above, we know that Jesus presumably presumably stayed some time with Peter, with Peter's mother-in-law. And we know that Jesus apparently had some other temporary places he could stay. And so this doesn't mean that Jesus slept on the streets every night, but it does mean that Jesus Christ did not have a permanent home in his ministry. And he wanted this eager scribe to know that. All right, so that's the, that's the first part of what he says here. But that's actually not all that he says. Because then, second here, and this is really fascinating, is notice what Jesus decides to call himself to this scribe here, what he calls himself. He doesn't say, I have nowhere to lay my head, but instead, he intentionally calls himself the Son of Man here. Do you notice that? The Son of Man. And now church, that's, that's really important. It's much more significant than we may think at first, especially because, and I didn't know this until studying this this week, but that right there is actually the first time in this whole book of Matthew that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And as for what it means, well, first, we all need to know that this is Jesus' most used title for himself in all the gospel books. He likes to call himself the Son of Man. And the term itself, on the one hand, does emphasize Jesus' humanity as he was and is a man. But even more so, you might know this, and as this teacher of the, scri of the law scribe certainly knew, 
This title, Son of Man, has a much more elevated meaning as well. Because famously, all the way back in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7, this is the term that shows up where it's prophesied that this mysterious Son of Man goes into the very throne room of God to the Ancient of Days, and God gives him this glory and this kingdom over all the nations that will never pass away. That's the prophesied Son of Man. And therefore, all that said, taking these two things together, you can see it. In terms of what just Jesus decides to say to the scribe, he really cleverly combines two almost seemingly opposite things, right? Because on the one hand, he's really clear. He's someone who doesn't even have a permanent home. And he he wants this scribe to know that. And yet, though, on the other hand, Jesus amazingly, in that very same breath, he also hints at, and yet, although I don't have a permanent home, If you follow me, you will be following the Son of Man, the global everlasting King. Jesus is really interesting. Again, as for why he says that, we'll talk about that more in the next section. And so that's the first two scenes here and what Jesus says. But all that finally, church, leads to this third and last scene. So look there now, verses 21 and 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So, on that encounter, notice first just the person is called another of the disciples here. And just so you know, that's not necessarily talking about the 12 disciples per se. But instead, this is still really early on in Jesus' ministry. And so a disciple of a rabbi like this would be someone who is somewhat listening to him. Okay, so we have, we have someone here who's sort of been learning from Jesus. And, and what does he say? Well, he calls him Lord. Right, you can see that it's significant. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And now on that, there's a debate on exactly what that means because that wording in the original language could mean that this guy's father had just died and he wants to go bury him. And if so, that'd be something he'd need to do in obedience even to the law back then because the law back then said that they had to bury their dead within 24 hours. And so if that's the case, he's trying to take care of a family matter and even follow the law. But then also, as I I learned this week, apparently that phrase, bury my father in the original language, could not mainly be referring to an actual funeral and burial, but that phrase was used to also more generally just talk about staying with somebody who's elderly until they pass away. Meaning this, this could mean something like, Lord, let me first wait it out until my father passes away and then I will come and follow you. And if, and if that's more the case, which it may be, that, then you can see it's, it's less about actually caring about the specific funeral and it's more about taking some time to see what he, to take care of this family duty of staying with his father first until he dies and then he'll decide to follow Jesus. But either way, which one it exactly means, the point remains. You, you can kind of see the contrast between these two people we've seen who are coming up to Jesus, right? Because if the scribe was almost over-eager in his following of Jesus, not understanding what he was really saying, so this guy now sort of wants to follow Jesus, but whatever it means, we do see that he does think he needs to put his family in the needs there first, right? He thinks he needs to take care of family matters, and then he'll follow Jesus, which finally, on this paragraph, and this is strangely how it ends, leads to what Jesus says to him, right? Quote, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And now let's, let's be honest, that may sound harsh to us, but it isn't. Because instead, what is Jesus saying? Well, church, if you read the Bible, you know Jesus sometimes does this. 
He's sometimes a bit direct because remember, as we're often told in the gospel books, he knows exactly what's going on inside of the hearts of those who talk to him. And so he knows what they need to hear. And therefore, here, yes, Jesus is blunt, but his point is pretty clear. As for this guy who's, who's thinking about following Jesus, he should leave the dead to bury their own dead. And now that, that doesn't mean that Jesus is saying it's wrong for someone to go and care for their family. And in, and in fact, we know from other places in God's word that it is good and right to care for your family. And so to be clear, it is good and right to, for example, care for the funeral details of somebody in your family who has passed away or to, or to care for somebody in your family who's elderly and, and maybe close to death. And so... Jesus is not making a statement for all time that his followers aren't supposed to care for those who have passed away or for those who are elderly in their families. Instead, look closely here. We actually get a big hint at what Jesus is really saying to this guy by focusing on that idea of how he said, let the dead bury their own dead. Because think about it. What, what is Jesus saying there? Well, he's talking about the spiritually dead in that first phrase there, if you notice that. That's the most common interpretation. I think it's right because it almost has to be the case. Because if Jesus is talking about physically dead people in both instances, it doesn't make sense because a dead person can't bury another dead person. So instead, in what, if what Jesus is saying is something more like, let the spiritually dead, meaning, meaning let those who, who don't really know me, know God, and don't have true spiritual life, let them be those who put their families first and foremost above me, then this passage makes sense. And Jesus talks like that elsewhere, and I think that's what's going on. And therefore, Jesus is being direct, and, and he, we might even say he's being a little, a little bit jarring, but he is not being unloving. Instead, he is saying what he thinks this guy needs to hear also that he may eventually genuinely follow him. And so church, I know that was a lot, but all that said, so that's our first and our biggest section this morning, mainly just seeing what Jesus said. And in a way, by doing that, you can see we have covered what God's word here most basically means. We, we've seen what's on the surface of this passage. But we haven't yet dug deeply into why, though, Jesus would really talk like that or how that applies to us. And so that's what we're going to do now in our second and third sections. So first, though, for our second section now, we're going to talk about why. Meaning what we're going to do now is we're going to go through each scene again, more briefly, though, this time. And we'll zoom in on just really thinking about why Jesus says these things. Why? Because I want to do this because let's, let's be honest. We, we still, even after hearing all that, may hear this passage and think that Jesus, though, kind of still sounds a bit too strict. Or worse, if we're honest, we may read this and feel this off feeling about Jesus, that it kind of seems like he's just wanting people to follow him, but he doesn't really care about them or care about us. But I, I do want us all to see that that's not the case in each of these scenes. And so first, let's go through these. Let's look again at verse 18. Verse 18. Remember this. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. So now think about this with me. Why would Jesus intentionally leave this area where the crowd was forming after his miracles? Why would he order that they go to the other side of the lake away from the crowd? And there are perhaps a lot of answers we could give to that, but given the context, it does seem that Jesus here is showing us that his main objective, therefore, isn't just numbers. It can't be. It isn't just a crowd, especially if the crowd doesn't really want to follow him, but they're mainly just interested in his healings and his miracles. 
And for you and me, that is, that is really fascinating right there for us to consider, isn't it? Because think about it. We, especially in our modern society and culture, and even in our current church and Christian culture, we often get so fixated on numbers. I mean, we just think that, okay, yeah, good things. If we want to obey the Great Commission and make disciples of Jesus, then the most obvious thing to do would be to focus on numbers, right? The number of people. But church, I mean, that one verse right there and others that are like this in the gospel show us that apparently that was not Jesus' main goal. Instead, Jesus would rather have a smaller number of real followers than a great number of people who just sort of follow him. All because that's not really following, following him anyway. All right, so that's verse 18. And again, now I hope you're seeing how clever it is that Matthew intentionally puts that as the topic sentence of this paragraph. All right, so that now leads, though, to verses 19 and 20 again. So let's read those again and ask why. Verses 19 and 20. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So now on that, we've already talked a bit about what Jesus is saying. But again, why would he say that? We've already hinted at this, but now let's just make this pretty crystal clear what's going on here. So we have this scribe, this teacher of the law, who comes up to Jesus. He calls him teacher, meaning he seems eager as a teacher himself. I mean, to come to this clearly intelligent teacher and follow him wherever. Right? He wants to learn from Jesus. But Jesus knows this scribe doesn't really want who he as Jesus is. He, he doesn't really want to embrace what Jesus is all about. Because sure, this, this scribe wants to learn from this master teacher. He's interested. He, he says he'll go wherever to follow this rabbi who, who clearly has power and influence and can do miracles and I'm sure is really fascinating to him. But does he really want who Jesus actually is? Does he want to humble himself and follow him as his savior king. And therefore, all that said, it does seem that here, just like with the rich young ruler, right, if you know that story in the gospel, so here, Jesus, to probe into all that with this scribe, he points out to him that actually following him isn't necessarily going to be what he thinks. And in fact, Jesus specifically decides to point out to this scribe that following him isn't necessarily going to be easy. Because sure, scribe, you may want to learn from Jesus, but, but do you realize that the difficulties that come with that, do you realize that Jesus, this one you're following, doesn't even have a home? And knowing the difficulties, do you, do you still want to follow him? And quickly, church, for you and I, we should ask, knowing there are difficulties in following Jesus, do we still want to follow Jesus? Right, so that's mainly why Jesus says what he says here to the scribe. But finally on what Jesus says right there, also remember though, it is in that same breath when talking about the difficulties that Jesus also told the scribe and he tells us that he's the son of man. The son of man. Meaning as for why Jesus said what he said here, yes, he's saying that if anyone really follows him, it won't just be learning from some master teacher. And yes, it will be difficult in some ways, but also it'll be even bigger and better and grander than we can ever imagine <laughs> as we are following this forever global king. I mean, Jesus just kind of throws that in there. <laughs> Which finally on this passage, though, leads to the last scene again. So stick with us. We're going to look there one last time, verses 21 and 22, and ask why. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. 
So we already talked about this briefly, but as for why Jesus would say this, just remember, this is the opposite, right, of the, of the scribe. Because again, if the scribe was almost over-eager, this person is now the opposite. His problem is that he doesn't put Jesus first. And again, it may not seem to us, like, uh, that, that might not seem clear to us when we just see what he says, because in what he says, with this idea of bearing his father, that might seem like a reasonable request, but Jesus knew, again, that that was his way of really saying that, sure, Jesus, I'll follow you, but come on. I, I gotta go do all these other things, obviously first, especially with my family. I mean, come on, Jesus, you must know that there's other things that clearly come first. And therefore, as for why Jesus responds the way he does, Jesus is clear. It's clear, he apparently responds with this follow me and this kind of strong, let the dead go bury their own dead because he wants it to be obvious that no, if you really follow me, I, I must come first. I must be your supreme ambition and allegiance. That, that's Jesus' point. If this so-called disciple is to actually follow Jesus, he must really follow Jesus, which includes putting him first. And really, summing all that up then, on all of these scenes, you can maybe sense that that overall is really a good way of saying why Jesus says all these things in this paragraph. In each of these things, because think about it. Why go away from the crowds, Jesus? Or, or why emphasize the difficulties of following you, Jesus? Or, or why do you almost seemingly kind of push this guy away who just wants to put his family first? And the answer is from, from Jesus Christ, not from me, from Jesus. The answer is that Jesus is emphasizing the importance, the necessity of people realizing that following him is a, is a, is a real thing. We don't just follow him because he's a miracle worker or a healer, nor just because he teaches in some fascinating way, nor just because you want to add him onto your life that you already have. Instead, following Jesus is such a real thing that it, that it means following him because of who he actually is. And, and no matter what comes, and, and putting him first and making him supreme in your life as your savior and your king, there is no other way of really following Jesus according to Jesus. And so I know that's maybe heavy. And I know still, church, we haven't really applied that too much to ourselves yet. But that's our second section, asking why, which now finally leads us to conclude with our third and last section in our, where we're going to ask the question of what, therefore, does all this really show us about Jesus and then about your and my potential following of Jesus. And so we're going to take those one at a time, looking first directly at our Savior Jesus and then talking about our following of him. And so first... Concerning what this shows you and me about our Lord and Savior Jesus, as we just talked about, the basic answer is that Jesus clearly says all of this about following him because most simply said, again, it's because Jesus apparently wants real followers of him. I mean, real followers. We, we can't emphasize that enough. He doesn't want the crowds to think or this scribe to think or this so-called disciple at the end here to think that they're following him if they truly aren't. And so again, most clearly here, that's what we see about Jesus, which is why going through passages like this is so helpful for us. In his wisdom, Jesus says what he says because he wants his followers to be genuine followers. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple, but that important. But continuing on, still looking at Jesus... I don't think we should stop there because let's be honest, again, we still may hear that and still think that it's kind of harsh sounding though. 
Or that that's maybe seems a bit too strong, Jesus, or controlling to say things like that, or anything like that. And so really what's going on here? Why talk like this? What does this most deeply show us about the person of Jesus? And to answer that, and the final point I hope you all see this morning about Jesus, is that church, even further, when we really boil this down, what we should see here is that the deepest reason why Jesus would say things like this is because he loves because he loves, because he loves these people in these scenes, and he says these things to us this morning because he loves us. Because now think of this, and we sort of talked about this a bit last week when we saw Jesus talk about hell in the midst of his healings in verses 11 and 12. Because here, like there last week, let's be honest, again, we may hear these blunt, direct teachings from Jesus and think they're harsh. We may think, we, we probably do think things like, man, wouldn't it be better though, Jesus, if you didn't decide to talk about hell there in the midst of the healings? <laughs> or, or, but wouldn't it be better, Jesus, if, come on, you just accepted these people who sure are seemingly half-hearted, but at least they're interested. We kind of think, wouldn't it be better if you just accepted them instead of sending them kind of away like this? And consider, especially in the modern culture we all live in, we all feel that. But it's Jesus Christ who surprises us, isn't it? by being more direct and blunt and truthful than we might expect. And why? Well, because again, church, get this. It's because it wouldn't be loving if he didn't say things like this. Because if Jesus did go to the crowds who were just accepting him mainly because of his miracles, and he said to them that they're all now his followers, or if he did just accept this scribe who's really kind of just fascinated by his teaching only, or if he didn't care that this man put his family above him, then sure, if say one of the 12 disciples back then was, was keeping track of the number of people who were followers and trailing behind Jesus and showing up, then sure, Jesus' numbers would have shot up. And yet, Jesus would have known the numbers might have looked great on the outside, but they wouldn't really be his followers. They wouldn't really be trusting him as their savior, which is what they need. They wouldn't really be loving him as the Messiah and enjoying the benefits of his kingdom. Rather, they'd be quote-unquote following him, but they'd actually be deceived. And therefore, the point is, one last time, I hope you see it, Jesus says things like this and can say things like this because he is the God of love. <laughs> That's really what's going on. That's the church. That's most of our passages. What Jesus said. Why he said it. That's what this shows us about him and his wisdom and love. But finally this morning, and importantly, that leads us to close by making clear what this then shows us about your and my following of Jesus. Right, our following of Jesus. And on that, we've already talked about how these verses show us that, you know, we shouldn't focus too much on numbers again or how there will be difficulties if we decide to follow Jesus or finally how we must put Jesus first. But if we had to combine and maybe sum up all of that, I do think that the one thing that we have to say from this passage about your or my or anyone's following of Jesus, again, is what Jesus makes clear over and over. So I want to make it so clear, and that's that for anyone who decides to follow him, above all, it must be a genuine and real thing. It must be a genuine and real thing, meaning it cannot be something we just say, nor can it be something we just do once a week on Sunday. Nor can we say we follow Jesus, but really, 
in our hearts put our families or our jobs or our careers or our comforts or anything else above him when we really think about our hearts and our lives and who we are. Be- because sure, you, you can, of course, be like that, just like you can be like this scribe and like listening to Jesus as this teacher, or just like you can be like this so-called disciple at the end who put his family first. But it's Jesus who wants it to be clear that that is not truly knowing him and following him. Rather, when we follow Jesus, by definition, he becomes the main center and ambition and goal of our lives. Okay, he is and he must be. And now, here's where we need to be really careful though. And though, here's where I do not want to soften Jesus' own words and his own teaching. Because now to, to really bring this all home to us, let's make sure we get these two things, two things. Because first, on the one hand, let me be so clear, as I know Jesus would be clear from other places in his teachings. On the one hand, let me be clear. If you are hearing any of this and therefore thinking anything like, oh, oh no, I guess this means that being a real Christian, that genuinely knowing Jesus isn't apparently by grace through faith in the gospel alone, but I guess it also means that I have to follow Jesus good enough in order to get God on my side. If you are thinking anything like that, then please hear me out. That is not the case. Because church, the gospel is still true. We still have nothing to offer God on our own. All is grace and we are saved by what Jesus did alone in his perfect life, his death for our sins, and his victorious and historical resurrection. I mean, that is still absolutely true. And also though, on the other hand, at the same time, second, Here's the point this morning that we all probably need to get. The gospel to be received by faith in Jesus alone is true. And though, if we think that we have believed the gospel and embraced Jesus, and yet we look at our lives and we see that we're not really following Jesus, then we actually haven't believed in Jesus and embraced the gospel. You get that? that that's the point. And again, from Jesus, saying that isn't harsh. It's, it's just... It's just the way it is. It's, it's reality. And yes, that is a challenge. Sure, if we're here and we don't really care that much about Jesus. But even more so, actually, I hope we all see, this being the case is actually more so of an encouraging thing. It's an encouraging thing. Because that means, think of this, in reality, that Jesus is so real and so involved in the life of anyone who actually embraces him, that when someone truly trusts in him in the gospel, something really happens. There's something outside of them with God and something inside of our hearts. Because literally for anyone who genuinely accepts Jesus in the gospel, God himself, the person of the very Holy Spirit, he comes to dwell in us. And what starts to happen in his work is we start to want to follow Jesus above all. We become people who say, I really do want to put you above everything else, Jesus. And now that doesn't mean that we don't struggle, right, with sins, or doubts, or anything else like that? Of course we do. But it does mean that genuinely, really, Christians can say, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my King. I am not the King and ruler of my life. I do not follow what I just want to do anymore. And I don't mainly live for the things in this world. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And so I follow Jesus. And that's a good thing. And so the final question we all, from Jesus this morning, should ask ourselves is, 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 that, is that true of me? Is that true of me? Again, don't ask yourself questions like, am I perfect? Or am I good enough? Or am I religious enough? Whatever that means. 
Because notice, it's so interesting. Jesus doesn't tell people here that they first, if they're interested in following him, they first have to show that they obey good enough to show that they really want him. Or that they need to do something like follow those religious authorities or confess their sins enough or look spiritual enough. That is not his point. Rather, to both of these people, his, his statements are meant to delve into their hearts, to probe into what is going on. What do they really love? Do they really want to follow him? And so again, do you? We each need to ask ourselves that, really all of us, because one last time, it is so clear from Jesus that Jesus called people out to follow him in history. And he did so often, so bluntly and straightforwardly like this, because again, Jesus desires to have real, genuine followers. And so if you're here, and you hear all of this, and, and you kind of are feeling, you know what? I, don't, I haven't really put Jesus first and decided to follow him like that above all else. And I pray right now in your pew that you, you may decide to do that. Embrace the good news of Jesus' historical life, death, and resurrection in your heart, really maybe for the first time, and glee, gladly heed Jesus' call to follow me. But then finally, though, for all of us who look at this, hear this, and by God's grace alone, we're sitting here, standing here, and we can say that we truly do love Jesus. And we want to live for him. Not, not perfectly, man. We know our struggles, but genuinely for us first, let's be thankful to God that he has done that in our hearts. Because let's realize, apart from God's changing grace, none of us would ever want to follow Jesus like we do. We would walk away just like these two people in this story presumably did. So let's give God the thanks for that. But then also second and finally for those of us here who do trust Jesus. Let's just take this from him this morning and be stirred on now to follow him even more closely. All because church, this is what our Savior kindly calls us to. This is his good purpose on our lives. This is what we were made for, to follow him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.